Hello, hello, boys and girls. This is Startup Hand Me Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm Bande, and today I'm in India, New Delhi, speaking to the tech powerhouse that is Varun Chawla. He's a serial entrepreneur who's made his mark on the tech scene in Delhi, and we're going to delve into the challenges and opportunities of starting a tech uh, business abroad. Thanks for coming down, Varun. Thanks a lot for having me, and welcome to India. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, so, Vern, when I was doing my research on you, I was stunned to discover that you've been the founder or director of seven ventures since the days at Goldman Sachs. Yeah, this is true. So, we'll delve, delve into those seven in a bit, but let's eat the dessert first and talk about your latest venture, that is 91 Springboard. Sure. So, um, what's it do? Alright, so, if an, if an uninformed person was looking at our business from the outside in, they'd probably conclude we're just a co-working space. But if you were to dig deeper and talk to people who are actually in this space, you'll realize it's much, 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 much more. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is sort of create a mishmash of an accelerator, an incubator, and a co-working space. The thought was, as entrepreneurs, multi-time entrepreneurs, all six co-founders have a variety of experiences. We took these experiences and we said, how can we reverse engineer it and create um, the elements that every entrepreneur could benefit from as they're growing their business? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> What we realized was important was a workspace, services, networks, knowledge, and capital. So uh, I'll talk a little bit deeper about this. Um, so workspaces, as you'd imagine, it's just getting all the basic infrastructure right, which is the internet, kind of power, security systems, just clean spaces. Uh, that's the thought. So that's the space part of it. Services. Every business brings some magic sauce to the table. They need some regular ingredients also, right? And when we create large spaces which have hundreds of companies, the advantage is there's a good chance there's a couple of people sitting over from you who are designers or a couple of people sitting over from you who are accountants or Mm -hmm. any of these service professionals. And as I say, worst case, you're getting free advice. Best case, you're doing business together. So that's what we like to build. Again, it's an offline marketplace. So that's what I mean when I say services. When I say networks and knowledge, that's sort of a... A, a, a double-ended process that we do where we run programming. By programming, I mean events. So every one of our spaces has a dedicated event space, <clears throat> which can manage typically about 150 people standing and 100 people sitting. Mm-hmm. We organize programming 10 to 15 events per month per location. Now that we run six locations, that's in excess of 50 events every month. Lastly, but not really last, <laughs> is capital getting the funding or the financing that every business so very much needs. Mm-hmm. Right? So how we've gone about that is we create a network of angel investors in every market that we go into, mm-hmm. and now we're up to about 150. And the thought is when we need a startup that can raise capital in the, tri- in the way an angel investor likes to invest, not debt capital, but equity capital. Mm-hmm. So when we feel there's a startup that can absorb equity capital, we reach out to angel investors, write up a two-page report, and have these angel investors say yay or nay, typically within a 72-hour period. And then we'll help them do the due diligence, do the accounting paperwork, do the legal paperwork, and achieve from, I'm interested to, hey, I'm an investor in this company, and now I'm adding value to this company. We've mm-hmm. done that now with, I think, 16 companies, it might be 17. We're adding one every other month. So it's an exciting time, and that's how we add value to companies. Mm-hmm. And what do you feel the investor scene in India is like? And what's the tolerance for risk around tech? Right, so the scene when I first came into India was 2005. I used to work with Goldman Sachs at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I went hiring to campuses, um, top colleges, the IIMs, 
And I realized just then there was a, a turning point. When anybody got an international job offer, they would grab both hands yeah. and go, I'm going to the UK, I'm going to Australia, I'm going to the US, yeah. I'm getting my $100,000 job, my $80,000 job, my $200,000 job. And nobody would say no. Yeah. In 2005, the first year I started recruiting on behalf of Goldman Sachs, I realized out of a batch of 70, 80 people out of I am Lucknow, I think was the college I was at, mm-hmm. the 70 or 80 people, three people said no to international job offers. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the beginning of a trend. Ten years later, there's many, many more people saying no to these international job opportunities which are safe, terribly well-paying, and have brand equity associated with them. Mm-hmm. And people are saying, no, I'm willing to take a chance, do something new, do something different, stay at home, India's growing fast enough, opportunities are good in terms of both the type of work and also the amount of compensation they're going to receive. So I'd say um, the tech scene has boomed mm-hmm. and investments have gone hand in hand because otherwise this could happen. Mm-hmm. I think I read some data, this could be a little flawed or at least old. Five years ago, there was about under a billion dollars invested in the VC industry. Mm-hmm. And this year, I believe that number is going to top $4 billion. This again, only just VC investments. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at private equity and uh, public market investments is far more money coming in. Yeah, that's a full time to growth in five years. Boom. So what type of startups are doing best in those type of locations? Delhi, Mumbai, Bangalore. What startups do you see that are doing the best or having the best luck with investors? Right. Um, so the Uberization of the world is clearly happening. So the Uber of this, the Uber of that is a pitch you're hearing every other day. Mm-hmm. So clearly a lot of that is happening for disintermediation. Um, also, just the e-commerceization of everything is also happening. So, just there was the uh, generic multi-purpose retail that first made its way online a few yeah. years ago, half a decade to a decade ago, between players like um, Amazon and Amazon's predecessor, which is called Jungly. Uh, more importantly, the Indian players Flipkart and Snapdeal. Mm-hmm. Um, today, you're seeing not players emerging in the multi-purpose e-commerce but the specialized e-commerce again the sort of um, system we saw followed even internationally so now you'll find your shoe vertical or your electronics vertical or something even more specific with the online automobiles and all of these so you're starting to find your vertical specific e-commerce players if you were to ask me i think it's e-commerce and um, uber and the uberization of various vertical businesses and we're seeing commanding most of the money and most of the uh, talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in those terms, you mean proven business models abroad, such as you know, an online shoe retailer, and just spotting a gap that India hasn't done yet, doing it safely and nicely. That. That's insightful, absolutely. I think we are still doing a lot of me too, rather than driving pure play global innovation. I think we're starting to play around with that. We've got our one, two players I can think of that compete at a global level off the top of my head. Uh, Zomato, which is a global company when it comes to uh, restaurants and food ordering. I think they're number one in almost 80 or 90 international countries. They're not number one in the US, which is the world's biggest market, mm-hmm. where I think Yelp holds that crown. But Zomato is truly a global level competitor and in terms of, I think, number of markets, number of consumers is number one. 
but it doesn't have the number one food market in the world, which is the US, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's one big player we have. Another big one is Inmobi, which um, I believe is bigger than Google when it comes to mobile advertising, or at least goes head to head. And those are two players that I can say that are household names in many international markets and are doing India proud in terms of being the first and being global leaders in two arenas. I think more of that is going to happen, but uh, for now, a lot of the ideas do tend to be the me too's. And what excites you in uh, the world of startup right now? If you were to start something new, right today, what would what would area would it be in? Oh, personally? Yes. Oh, this is a tricky one, right? One thing I learned early on in my journey is you can't cheat on entrepreneurship. What that means is you can't do two things at the same time, otherwise you're going to suck at both and they're both going to burn and crash. Mm -hmm. right? So that's something I've stayed true to, actually. So right now, 91 is in a great place. I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. Every day when I'm in the bath or I'm in the bathroom, I'm thinking about how I'm going to improve this business. <laughs> uh -huh. As soon as, I, as my mind starts to wander and I think about other businesses and other opportunities, I know things start to go south. So neither has there been a lull in the business that has allowed me to do it. And I think I've disciplined myself at some level to not do it. So for better or worse, it's the truth. I'm an alchemist to 91 Spring. <laughs> okay. And if you're advising uh, you know, listeners who want to start up a business in India, yes. what would that be? And imagine for a second you're, you're not starting, or you're, you're not the... I like how you've gone around and got rid of the same question. Uh -huh. I'll, I'll, I'll try yeah. to do better this well, Yeah, we need this information. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm brainstorming here. I haven't given it a lot of thought, but fundamentally I like people to think about large business problems. And when I think about them, there's large business problems not just in retail and, and SaaS, where a lot of the stuff seems to be happening, right? Mm -hmm. I think the opportunities um, in agriculture, in um, uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, transportation, in um, uh, pollution control, um, in manufacturing, um, these are areas which India has not touched deeply. I think mm. there's a lot of innovation with massive impact possible in a place like India. We're the world's seventh largest country by space. Mm -hmm. um, the third largest, still, no, the second largest by population. And we're up there in terms of economic output. But I think there's so many sectors that are still untapped. And they're so virgin from the perspective that uh, nobody has tried to address them that even small amounts of innovation is going to drive large change and it's going to be big economic opportunity. Just they're not considered sexy, so not enough people are spending time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's too much of the me too as we previously discussed and people just need to think about some of these bigger challenges, think about holistically what the challenges the nation is facing and approach some of these even though they're not sexy. Financially, I think that's a huge opportunity and the impact that's possible is massive. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have two um, streams of thought here. One is to do a me, find a me too that no one's done so far in India. But the second is to aim for an industry that is untouched in India, such as agriculture, and bring technology to solve problems there. Yes. Okay, got it. So once someone has the right idea, how do they go about doing the next step? So if I phrase it differently, what did you do once you uh, 
came came to India from Goldman Sachs and wanted to start up your business. Yeah. What what happened? Tell us the story. Oh, perfect. So you walked right into my trap. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm so, glad I did. <laughs> so when I uh, quit Goldman or decided to quit Goldman, um, I essentially wanted to build on a couple of ideas that I had while I was at my corporate job, but didn't quite have the environment to live out my dream. Uh, I found the right environment right under my own nose to my father's office. Mm -hmm. He had the infrastructure, he would give me working internet, working conference rooms, an accountant, some of his friends were my first customers, and some of them were my first investors. Sounded a lot like the value proposition we're offering in the mm -hmm. framework. Mm -hmm. So I walked into that, benefited from a lot of it, had the opportunity to try and fail multiple times, and learn how to build businesses. And with that thought is what we created 91 Springboard. So I believe that's exactly what anybody new needs, a combination of uh, what 91 Springboard offers, whether you get it here or you get it somewhere else, but that's exactly what you need. And luckily, these things are starting to become available and more easily accessible than one would imagine, and at least far more accessible than they were five or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. So you got a lot of help from kind of a similar thing to what you're doing now, you just happen to stumble across it through your dad. Seven is a, a huge number of uh, businesses you have to have gone through in your young life so far. Sure. So can you talk us through them and uh, what led you to starting them or becoming the, the director? Sure. <clears throat> so the first business I picked up was naturally what I knew best. And when I quit Goldman... What made you leave your job at Goldman Sachs? That's a good question, Rambir. That's one that I've been asked a few times and I've enjoyed sharing the story. Um, I was at Goldman, I've been there about five and a half years at this time, and just started to feel that, you know, maybe there's other things out there for me, and why not this or why not that? And I brought this conversation to my father, and he said, well, look, son, if you take the job right now, there's three reasons I can think of that you should do it now. Uh, you can live in my house, you don't have any dependents, and you have your own savings, so for those three reasons, I'd say, you're an idiot for not doing it tomorrow. And literally, I quit the next week. I moved to Delhi to live with my parents. And then I started tinkering. <laughs> so that's wow. what drove me to experiment and shift out from the norm. A little bit of nudge and push from my dad. So the first business I picked up was naturally what I knew best. And when I quit Goldman, I knew the investment banking world. The mm -hmm. first business I picked up was um, investment banking in a way, also called consultancy, also called just business brokerage, whatever. The mm -hmm. um, idea was to help early stage companies raise financing. So I was typically helping companies raise anywhere from uh, 50 lakhs to 5 crores, which is about 100,000 to about a million dollars. Um, so what I would do is understand the company's needs, help create materials, which would be a presentation, which would be financial documentation, and share that with investors in an attempt to get them financing. Um, so it was a services-based business, and that was the first one because I was most comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. I subsequently tried my hand at businesses in, um, in equities trading, uh, which was an algo trading hedge fund, actually, uh, much before its time, and um, succeeded or didn't succeed for various reasons outside of the business idea itself. In this case, it was uh, the choice of team members I had made 
and who was going to be who were going to be my partners. So it was a learning for me with regards to how to build a founding team. Mm-hmm. Um, I also tried a business around uh, graphics technology on TV. So whenever we're seeing, say, uh, a TV show like sports or around uh, elections, there's a lot of graphics we see on screen, a lot of charts, uh, a lot of mm-hmm. this stuff. Somebody produces that. So the idea was to be a business that would produce this and sell it to TV channels. Mm-hmm. Um, happened to do this around 2008. The world was crumbling around us. Yeah. Advertising revenues were low for TV channels, so consequently their spend on services like ours was really bad. Um, and I think I failed to mention both my partners were alcoholics. Okay. So those are a couple of my early businesses. Um, I tried a concierge business, the idea being to service non-resident Indians and provide them services in India um, around, say, legal documents, educational documents, uh, real estate transactions, these sort of things. When you're sitting abroad, uh, they're hard to do in India. One, because of distance, and two, just things are onerous in India, mm-hmm. uh, bureaucratically and regulatory-wise. So I did was to provide the support, learned a number of things, made some money, but more importantly, learned that I didn't know how to do digital marketing at that time, which I subsequently learned. But that's something that made that business succeed, because I was targeting an international audience that was web-savvy, and I was trying to deliver a service from India, and it would have worked really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this, um, I did a more success. No, actually, I helped out with my father's travel business called Siddharth Travels. <clears throat> so working around that business, the ins and outs of the travel space, um, how do you service clients, how, how do you make money. Uh, my father already had a business that was about $2 million a year. How could I grow that? How could I leverage the people there to do other things? Um, that was a good learning, but that was me plugging into an existing business. Mm-hmm. Again, I didn't see it as my colleague, so I ended up uh, moving out. It was a related business that I helped my father with. That was a consortium of travel businesses called InterServe. So that was another one of the businesses I did. Um, I think the sixth business I did thereafter was a little bit more successful. It took me five times to sort of learn how to get one sort of right. Mm-hmm. This one was called My Guest House. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thought here was to create a business that provided um, a lot of options to the traveler of locations they could stay at, provide a lot of information on what services or facilities that business would provide at an effective or an efficient price, and then offer them the security that a transaction that they've engaged in online will truly be delivered to them when they arrive at the site. Because in India at the time, yeah. it was common that you'd pay, you reach there and say, no, sir, sorry, my, my guest house or my hotel is full. Why don't you try the next place? Yeah. And it'd be really Russian relay um, with regards to getting your money back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the idea with which we created this business. What we ended up doing was closer to uh, building a back-end technology system which would have live inventory and pricing data that large online players like Make My Trip, um, Yatra, Clear Trip, and others could plug into um, to deliver services to customers. That's what it morphed into or pivoted into. And um, that's what Make My Trip saw value in and picked up in November 2011. Mm-hmm. They're a NASDAQ listed company, I believe, valued over a billion dollars at this time. So that was fantastic learning for me going through an acquisition, 
wasn't phenomenally money making, but just to learn how you create value, how you structure a deal, and how you go through with that um, was a great learning process. Mm -hmm. So over these six ventures, reverse engineered a lot of my learnings and brought that to 91 Springboard. The original thought was to create more of a Y Combinator like incubator or accelerator, and then it became more of the space with elements of incubation and acceleration from that. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's been my journey. You sound like you're 60 years old. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't so, want to show you chest hair. This <laughs> <laughs> so is not the time and place. <laughs> and um, throughout all your different ventures, how did you go about acquiring talent? Because what I gather from you is Indians like security and uh, when you come out of college you want a job in a large company. How did you go about uh, getting people on board to this risky, you know, uh, bus that you're starting to, you're, you're driving. Well, you know that uh, busy social life we talked about? <laughs> well, it has a side benefit of building a lot of networks. Right. That you can dip into whenever you're looking to build a business. So I found more often than not, I was always build, dipping into my school, college, or social networks to build the founding teams at each one of my businesses. And thereafter, there would be a ripple effect through like um, a friend's younger brother or a friend's uh, college mate or a friend's uh, schoolmate would end up joining our team. So a lot of it was network driven. Um, until my last two businesses, I didn't really dip into traditional methods of recruiting, which is online websites, etc. Mm -hmm. But that said, today, these are very viable means of finding uh, talent. Knockery mm -hmm. uh, and Monster are the mainstream sources of finding talent. LinkedIn I would also uh, classify along with them. The more startup friendly or edgy sources are probably AngelList and mm -hmm. uh, Your Story. And these are some mm -hmm. of the yes. platforms you'd go if you're looking for people that are saying the traditional way is not for me and only startups for me. Your Story has... Uh, okay, okay. I don't know that. Yeah. Okay, very cool. I'll send you a bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they should pay you, these guys. <laughs> okay, uh, so we're going into our last two questions now. Sure. If you could take three qualities from anyone around the world, yeah. which ones would you take and why? All right. Um, so you're saying things I might not embody already and I'd want to better myself with, or you're just saying all around three good ones then? Uh, <laughs> let's go with things you don't already have. Alright, so, um, I need to find, well, okay, no, that was going to be the funny one where I wanted more time. But uh -huh. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. Uh, that's, that's a given, more time. <laughs> Alright, so, uh, so, but uh, I think related to that, I think there's people that are far better organized than I am, and okay. I think I'd like to go down that path. I've been a student of the getting things done way of thinking mm -hmm. and I've tried to incorporate a lot of technology and just better processes and uh, systems to make myself more efficient. I think that is clearly a quality a good entrepreneur needs to have. Uh -huh. um, so that's I think a second uh, one that I, uh, so that's an important one for me, um, uh, getting more organized and continually driving that process. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, uh, being patient is something I'm not that much, but I'm getting better at it and I'd like to get much, much better at it. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're running large organizations and surrounded by a number of people, you have to spend more time listening, 
um, dealing with some people's mistakes or shortcomings or what you perceive to be mistakes or shortcomings, which might just be a different way of approaching a problem or challenge. And I think patience and good listening skills are fundamental to being able to understand people around you, energizing them and motivating them, and getting them to focus in the right direction that you as an organization are trying to push harmoniously throughout the organization. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something everybody can do better on. Mm -hmm. um, if you were to push me for a third, um, I'd love to learn how to code. I mm -hmm. learned how to code many, many years ago and have gotten away from it. And in today's world, I think it's a fundamental necessity, which given two hours a day, I would love to get back to and mm -hmm. just learn and become better at, even if I was not to serve as one of the primary coders for our organization, but a deep understanding and connection with how the technology of today's world works mm -hmm. is going to empower me many times over uh, to be more efficient, to be more productive, to be more competent. At mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I fully hear you, especially on the, the, the third one, programming. I think even if people, as you say, don't learn how to make programs themselves, it's vital to learn how you know, the back end works and you have a front end and how everything gets put together. Yeah. You know, I myself gave, gave coding uh, a go and it proved too boring for me, you know, uh, me personally, it's not sure. something I was interested in. Sure. Um, but you know, the side effect of that was you learn how everything works and yeah. that is definitely what you need in, in tech. Exactly. Okay. So I know I said two more questions, but I'm going to go for another one as well. Sure. So the last two now. Yes. Um, what are the most common mistakes you see entrepreneurs making uh, here, in, here in Delhi? There's too much of the me too. I think when there's so many people attacking a relatively small but apparently glamorous section of the market, is there's very little, there's very thin slivers of innovation remaining. And there's too many people flocking after too little opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, a little bit of the challenge. Um, uh, I think um, there's still a lot of um, inexperience going after uh, some of these opportunities and what that that's not in and of itself a bad thing but what tends to go hand in hand with inexperience is that you tend to be a little frivolous and sometimes tend to pursue multiple opportunities and I find that in my mentor hours that I run there's too many people doing two or more things and I think that's a sure sure recipe for disaster whenever I've tried I've dabbled personally so I've been down that road and I can say that's not the way to success. So I would say those are a couple of big ones for me. Mm -hmm. uh, the me too and doing two things or more. Mm -hmm. yeah. Got it. Perfect. And last question. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll add one because this Please. is actually a pet peeve. Uh -huh. Too many businesses chasing valuation versus value. Uh -huh. Build something that's going to provide value for people. Other builds rather than build something that hopefully three rich people or three rich VCs are going to feel is valuable mm -hmm. because that's not representative of true value. True value is when hundreds or thousands or millions of people are buying or using your product or service. Focus on that. Mm -hmm. The money will come. Mm -hmm. Perfect. That's uh, that's really valuable because I see actually people. Um, they try and do things in a way in which makes their business seem bigger or, you know, they, they employ too quickly. Um, so yeah, that, that's very good advice. And final question. 
If you were to do it all again, yeah. what advice would you give yourself? <laughs> so I've learned from every single one. And would I, like a lot of things that people ask is, would you do the same thing all over again? I think you kind of have to, to get all the same learnings. Uh-huh. So I don't think I'd change, like I, I, I wouldn't try to see what the time where I potentially made a mistake. Because every mistake is a learning opportunity and I think I've learned from each and gained from every one. So I don't think I would do things differently. Um, that's the cliched answer, but I know it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I want to give you something more exciting, I'm trying to think what to say. Or well, what advice would you give yourself if you're talking to you know a 20-year-old version of you? Yeah. Um, so you know one thing they say, right? Um, an intelligent person can learn from their own mistakes. A wise person learns from other people's mm-hmm. mistakes. So I feel I was intelligent then and not wise. Uh-huh. So if I gave myself all of these learnings, <laughs> the 34-year-old Varun told the 20-year-old Varun, all of these things, he's still an idiot. <laughs> he's going <laughs> to hear it all and go make the uh-huh. same bad mistakes all over again. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, okay, so the good ones, the good ones. Um, Entrepreneurship is a long journey. Find people you can get along with and you have complementary skills too. Having similar or homogeneous skills I feel is not the way to go about it. Uh, Establish really strong and build and spend time maturing these relationships with the people you're going to work with every day and find the like-minded investors. Again, you're not going to spend 12 or 14 hours a day with these people, but what you are going to do is spend 8 or 10 hours a month of critical time, and that should be butting heads. That should be learning from them and deploying their money smartly and together achieving a goal. So I think those are two critical ones for me. Um, And of course, pick a big problem that is not just going to produce financially viable, Pick a problem that's going to have more than just a financial outcome. It, it just it's good food for the soul. Yeah, super stuff. <laughs> super super stuff. So, Brian, where, where can um, the listeners find out more about Ninety One Springboard? Okay, uh, we have a website, so that's always the easiest one. Um, you can come in and visit one of our spaces and meet one of uh, our team members. We're always welcoming, and we'll be glad to show you around, have you visit one of our events participate in them. Most of our events are free, so if you happen to be in and around six cities in India, you are welcome to attend an event, you're welcome to become a member of one of our spaces, Um, and if you're not, then our website will have to suffice for now. What's the website? 91springboard.com. That's number nine, number one, springboard.com. And what locations do you have uh, in Delhi? We've got in Delhi just the one so far, but Delhi belongs to a largest region called NCR, which is a national capital region. Uh-huh. So we've got three in the national capital region, which is Delhi, Gurgaon, and Noida, one each. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one in Navi Mumbai, one in Bangalore, and one in Hyderabad. And God willing, we're going to triple that number by the end of this year. Guys, I uh, highly recommend if you're into startups and if you're into tech, uh, visit 91 Springboard. Yeah, it's, it's a huge leap up uh, in your business. Um, so thanks guys thanks everyone for, for having us and being on the podcast tune in guys next week for another episode this was Ran Brown thank you guys